Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello there, and welcome to today's program. We have been um, very busy on the phone lines during the program over the last several weeks. Of course, we had our parents' panel last week, but um, if you want to call in, 347 994 2981 is that number. Uh, this is where we try to provide moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles with the support they need and answer their questions about collaborative problem solving and answer their questions about behaviorally challenging kids in general and their behaviorally challenging kid in particular. That's what these 45 minutes are for. We do this every week during the school year. And um, so once again, that number, 347 994 I saw a story in the New York Times yesterday about a um, gentleman who advocates spanking. Um, I read these stories and I think to myself, what century are we in here? Oh, is this like the Middle Ages here? Uh, there's still people out there thinking that hitting a kid accomplishes something productive. Uh, the gentleman I'm talking about is a uh, was described in the New York Times as a preacher named Michael Pearl. Um, uh, whose parenting methods he says are founded on the same principles the Amish use to train their stubborn mules. Apparently, this has the work has been seen in the book that Mr. Pearl has written called "To Train Up a Child." has been in the news lately because, um, uh, well, here's from the New York Times, debate over these teachings gained new intensity after the death of a third child, all allegedly at the hands of parents who kept the book to train up a child in their homes. On September 29th, the parents were charged with homicide by abuse. More than 670,000 copies of this self-published book are in 
circulation, and according to the New York Times, it is especially popular among Christian homeschoolers who praise it in their magazines and on their websites. Pearls provide instructions on using a switch from as early as six months of age to discourage misbehavior and describe how to make use of implements for hitting children on the arms, legs, or back, in quarter, including a quarter-inch flexible plumbing line that can be rolled up and carried in your pocket. I'm going to keep reading here just to give you the context. The Fuhrer in part reflects societal disagreements over corporal punishment, which conservative Christians say is called for in the Bible and which many Americans consider reasonable up to a point, even as many parents and pediatricians reject it. The issue flared recently when a video was posted online of a Texas judge whipping his daughter. Uh, you know, it's not easy to, to make me speechless. I'm speechless. I'm aware that there are people out there who still practice corporal punishment. I just can't believe it. This is the year 2011. And no, it's, it's not the fact that corporal punishment is fading somewhat, as best I can tell, in popularity that explains why there might be more challenging kids than there used to be. The vast majority of kids are still quite well-behaved in the United States of America. But I guess the philosophical divide over corporal punishment for me ends when we take into account what we've learned about behaviorally challenging kids over the last 40 to 50 years. I mean, that's, that's the game-changing information. Whether you hit a kid or not is all philosophical. It's a philosophical debate until you read the research, not the research on spanking and whether it's effective, because that's mixed. The research on why challenging kids are challenging. I mean, what we've learned over the last 40 to 50 years, I mean, the reality is, if we are using the Bible to justify hitting a kid, then we have to take into account that the Bible was written at a time where we didn't know why challenging kids were challenging. We've That research has been conducted over the last 40 to 50 years. That research comes from the neurosciences. There was lots of stuff we didn't know 2,000 years ago and stuff that recent research has caused us to change our practices. I mean, it, I'd like to think we've learned something in the last 2,000 years, and one of the things we've learned is that challenging kids are challenging because they're lacking the skills not to be challenging. And those lagging skills in the general domains of flexibility, adaptability, frustration, tolerance, and problem-solving 
are especially problematic for them in certain conditions that in the collaborative problem-solving territories we call unsolved problems. Hitting a kid with anything, I don't care whether it's your hand or a rolled-up whatever, or worse. In the video I saw of... The video I saw of that Texas judge whipping his daughter is nauseating. But here's the bottom line. Now that we know what we know about why challenging kids are challenging, here's something else we know. Hitting a kid, no matter what you're hitting the kid with, does not teach the kid the skills they're lacking and does not solve the problems that are setting in motion their challenging episodes. In which case, in my opinion, it makes no sense whatsoever. And we ought to stop teaching kids that hitting accomplishes anything. I mean, I try to be respectful of different beliefs. I try to see the concerns within the practices that people uh, use to try to help behaviorally challenging kids. But i got to tell you, this is over the top. It's just over the top. Um, we can let things go when, they are, when their effects are at least neutral. You know, how, how upset do I get when a kid is being put in timeout? Well, if the timeout isn't causing more challenging behavior, if it sort of has a benign effect, I mean, let's face it, the kid is probably sitting there thinking, what do these people think this is going to accomplish? It hasn't worked yet. Look at what we're going through to get me to sit in this corner here. But if the, if the, if the effects of the timeout are relatively benign, I guess we can let it slide. I mean, it still doesn't make any sense, but it, we can let we can let it slide. But this is over the top. Hitting kids teaches kids that hitting is the way you solve problems, and hitting is not the way you solve problems. Hitting kids is teaching kids that might makes right, might doesn't make right. So... What are the concerns behind the hitting? Well, that's, that's worth paying some attention to. The, the concerns of the hitters is that they are concerned about some aspect of the child's behavior and have somehow come to the belief, thanks to people who've published this sort of book, that hitting a kid will have a positive effect on a kid's behavior. I'll repeat myself and then we'll move on. Hitting solves no problems. Hitting teaches no skills. Hitting is obsolete as an intervention strategy. It's counterproductive. We need to stop doing it. We need to stop doing it in our homes. We need to stop doing it in our schools. Given what we now know about why challenging kids are challenging, Hitting makes no sense whatsoever. 
All right, I'm going to give you that call-in number once again. And, boy, I can't imagine that anybody who listens to this program and knows my work is surprised by that point of view. I'm surprised that more of our mental health professionals in this country aren't standing up and saying the exact same thing. Come on. Let's move past it. Okay, I'll move past it. I'll move on to some of our email. How about that? We don't have any callers today. Let me give you the number again, 347-994-2981. But that gives us a chance to turn to all of these emails that have accumulated that I have been wanting to respond to, but callers take priority on this program. So here we go. Uh, I have a nine-year-old son, oldest child, that is very strong-willed at home, says this emailer. He argues, fights with me and his brothers, calls me names, lies, and has physically acted out at times. In school and on his sports teams, he is perfect, almost too perfect. He has anxiety about situations, but has trouble talking about it. He has chewed holes through his clothes in school and, and chewed on his pencils till they are just bits of wood. I have taken him to a family counselor where I was told that I need to be stricter with him and make the punishments more painful that he so that he will remember them. Wow, what an apt email for us to be reading on the heels. Now, this mom isn't saying that she's hitting her kid, so. But there you have it. Now, this is me talking now, not the email. Uh, stricter, how's that? help us figure out what skills a kid is lacking and solve the problems that are setting in motion the kid's challenging episodes make the punishments more painful so that he will remember them i bet he remembers them the problem is not that he doesn't remember them the problem is that painful punishments don't teach skills and painful punishments don't solve problems okay back to the email i have tried this approach the painful approach and during and after the punishment He is remorseful, but it never stops the behavior from happening again. Now we know why. My son also thinks that everyone is against him and no one believes him. Um, Now we know why. Our counselor thinks that he is playing me because he can control himself in school and copes when things go wrong there. I have read The Explosive Child, thank goodness, and have tried some Plan B intervention. Good for you. The worst problem is that my son is very rude to me and shows me no respect when I try to correct his behavior or way of thinking. He takes it as a personal attack and never wants to be told that he is wrong. When speaking with him, he told me that no one believes him and he always gets the worst of any situation that he's involved in. We agreed that I would listen to both sides of the story and then take time to think about it before coming back to solve the problem. I have tried to do this, but when I have to solve the problem in a way that he doesn't like, he blows up again. I'm not sure how I should deal with this. It is affecting my relationship with my son and his relationship with his brothers. Well, first of all, thank you very much for emailing. Um, If your son is... Um, well-behaved at school and not at home, that doesn't mean you're getting played. That doesn't mean you need more painful punishments. doesn't mean your son can control himself at school and not at home. It means that 
Now, it could mean that he's keeping himself very tightly wrapped at school, but here's my recommendation. On the Lives in the Balance website, www.livesinthebalance.org, and I know you've been on that website because that's the contact form through which you sent this message. Go to the paperwork section and print out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Let's figure out what skills your son is lacking. And that's going to replace your being played as the explanation for why your nine-year-old son is challenging and your other kids aren't. You're getting played suggests that you're getting played. What parent wants to be played? But I don't think you're getting played. I think your nine-year-old son is lacking skills, and those are the lenses we have to have on. And if your current counselor doesn't have those lenses, um, well, you know what I'd have to say about that. Then... Let's figure out what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion your son's challenging episodes. Now, here's the deal on those. What your son is proving to us is that challenging behavior only occurs under certain conditions, conditions in which the demands of the environment outstrip the skills he has to respond adaptively to those demands. And, as is commonly the case, perhaps because he's keeping himself very tightly wrapped at school and can't quite pull that off at home, and perhaps because there are more unsolved problems at home than at school, and that's not your fault, that just may be your reality. Let's figure out what those unsolved problems are, and the unsolved problem is not his behavior. The unsolved problem are these specific problems setting in motion those behaviors. So don't write hitting in on in the unsolved problem section. Don't hit don't write in spitting, don't write in behavior. Write in the unsolved problems that are setting in motion those behaviors. And interestingly enough, I am not seeing any specific unsolved problems in your message. So I can't guide you. But now, once you have unsolved problems written in in the ALSIP, you know when your nine-year-old son exhibits his challenging behavior. The lagging skills tell you why. The unsolved problems tell you when. Now, you've read The Explosive Child, but there's a part of Plan B that I have a feeling you may not be doing exactly the way we'd like you to. First of all, by the way, the empathy step of Plan B should help your son stop saying that no one believes him. Should help him stop saying that, because in the empathy step, you do believe him. By the way, this is not an issue of believing. In the empathy step, you are trying to get your son's concerns on the table, and there are some great videos on the Lives in the Balance website in the Plan B and Action section to help you do just that. I mean, here's the deal on the Lives and Balance website. My goal 
and some of the videos are going to be replaced soon. And thanks to the first annual Lives in the Balance Conference on Collaborative Problem Solving in Augusta, Maine, next Monday. Very exciting. We're going to have new videos, especially in the Voices of CPS section. I have new videos for the Plan B in Action section. I just haven't had a chance to post them yet. Time, time. But they'll be up there soon. But uh, those videos will help you see how to do the empathy step of Plan B. The hardest part is drilling for information. And I don't know whether you're getting your son's concerns on the table in a very specific way, but here's what I'm sort of getting the feeling about in your email. You're solving the problem in a way that he doesn't like. He blows up again. Well, that's that. The litmus test for a good solution is that it's realistic, meaning both parties can do what they're agreeing to do, and, as relates to your email, mutually satisfactory, which means the burden for solving the problem is not on you. The burden for solving the problem is on y'all, you and your son. And um, if you are imposing solutions on your son then just as you are at the precipice of solving the problem collaboratively and in a mutually satisfactory manner, you are instead solving it unilaterally. That's plan A. Um, that could be what's affecting your relationship with your son and his relationship with his brothers. Fantastic that you're trying to do plan B, but that's an important part of plan B not to be doing correctly. Good for you to get his concerns on the table in the empathy step. Good for you to get your concerns on the table in the define the problem step. Not good if after you've gathered all that information, you are deciding what the solution is and your son is blowing up when the solution you are divining isn't realistic and mutually satisfactory. That's not, that's not collaborative problem solving. That's... Um, well, we might call that doing the plan B talk, but doing the plan A walk. There you have it. Now, you are welcome to call into this program anytime you want. I'll give you that number again. 347-994-2981. Yeah, I think that covers it on your email. Shall we go to another one? Uh, I answer this kind of a question frequently, but why not here again? My three-year-old, almost four son, is currently enrolled in a preschool, and although he does have some problems at home, by far the majority of his problems, blow-ups, meltdowns, and temper tantrums occur at school. Well, that's exactly the reverse of what our last emailer had you know you never know what environment the unsolved problems are going to be in sometimes it's both by the way it doesn't have to be one and not the other sometimes it's both that just means that the demands of the environment are outstripping the skills a kid has to respond adaptively to those demands in more than one environment that's all that means but you know, what we often do is we blame people when the unsolved problems are occurring on their watch why would we blame people when the unsolved problems are occurring on their watch because we are accustomed to believing that it's passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent discipline that 
causes challenging behavior, and therefore we leap to the assumption that the conclusion that if a kid is misbehaving in a particular environment, then it must be the adults in that environment who are passive, permissive, inconsistent, and non-contingent. And when you believe that way, then you convince those adults that that's what they are, and then they bend over backwards to not be permissive, not be passive, be more contingent, be more consistent, and that doesn't teach the kid any lagging skills, and it doesn't solve any problems either, but at least the adults feel like they are, well, they're doing what we might call tough love. Another contradiction in terms, I suppose, on my uh, web-based radio program for uh, educators recently. I've, I think it was not this past one, but it was the one last Monday. There's another contradiction in terms. Therapeutic hold. I typically do not view any hold as therapeutic. Anyways, let me continue with this email. I got distracted, didn't I? I have only recently discovered your work, and I'm wondering if it is possible to implement this with a child so young. He often shuts down and will not talk. I don't know if his age is the reason. Uh, this is me talking now. The email is now over. Thank you for your email. I don't know if the reason he's not talking is because he's three or four. There are lots of three- and four-year-olds who can uh, understand that there's an unsolved problem and what it is, can, under can provide you with information about their thoughts and concerns and perspective on the unsolved problem. Lots of three-year-olds can do that and can even participate in the process of brainstorming solutions. There are lots of three- and four-year-olds who do that. I don't know if that's why your son is shutting down and will not talk. But I think I'm going to run through the different reasons that that might happen. And boy, are there a lot of reasons besides a kid's age. And by the way, I've worked with three- and four-year-olds who were, in a, were more able to provide information and talk than some of the 17 and 18 year olds that I've worked with. So once again, I don't typically view age as the crucial variable, but why would a kid not talk? Let me count the ways. Ready? Um, one possibility is that you're not using proactive plan B. You're using plan A. That's a conversation stopper. Or emergency plan B, you're trying to gather information in the heat of the moment. And that added heat gets a lot of talking to stop dead in its tracks. Plus, probably in a rush. You want to be using proactive plan B the vast majority of the time. So gut check. Are you only trying to get him to talk when you're using plan A? That That's not going to work. Are you primarily trying to get him to talk in the heat of the moment or when... You're in a rush. That's probably not the most effective strategy either. So plan B needs to be planned for, proactive plan B. Now, another possibility. Um, you know, plan B starts with a neutral observation, usually the words, I've noticed that, and then you are inserting into that sentence a very specific unsolved problem and finishing that initial part of the empathy step with the words, what's up, or what's going on. Many people 
adults stumble on the neutral part. Instead, they say things like, I've noticed you don't want to clean your room. That's not neutral. I've noticed you don't want to do your homework. Not neutral. I've noticed you don't think it's important to take the trash out. Not neutral. problem with not neutral is if you're not neutral, the kid's not going to talk to you. If he's not talking, you're not going to know what your concern or perspective is on the unsolved problem you're trying to talk with him about, and the unsolved problem will remain unsolved. But it's also important for the unsolved problem to be specific. And as I mentioned earlier in this program, you don't want the unsolved problem to be a behavior, and you don't want it to be vague either. Vague. I've noticed that you're having trouble with your homework. What's up is too vague. I've noticed that it's been difficult for you to complete the math word problems in your homework. What's up? That's specific. I've noticed that you scream during homework. That's a behavior. It's not a behavior. It's not vague. A lot of kids don't talk because they didn't know what you were talking about. And a lot of kids, especially if you're using behavior, don't talk because, geez, I I scream at various points throughout the day. This is what the kid is thinking. And uh, let me think about the different points in the day during which I scream and what what it is that I'm screaming about and what my concerns are about what I'm screaming about. Many kids at that point, uh, you've you've taxed them. They're they're done. They're they're confused. It's it's too much for them to think about. And what do they say? I don't know. If you start vague and you say, "I've noticed that you are having trouble with your homework," the kid now and that wouldn't be with a three or four year old, more likely than not. But I've noticed that um, you're having trouble with your homework. What's up? He's not got to think about all of the homework he's got. What difficulty he's having with each of the homework assignments. And what he's probably going to say, given that all that thinking might be hard for him, is, I don't know, or say nothing at all. Now, in our email, uh, most of the unsolved problems are happening at school. It would be too vague to say, I've noticed that you get upset at school. He's not going to talk. No idea what you're asking about. So you might need um, the folks at school to give you some much more specific information about what it is that he's getting upset about at school. They, they may not be familiar with unsolved problems any more than you are yet. They may not be able to be specific yet. You, you may have to be the one who asks for that information. Can, can you give me some information? This would be talking to the school folks. Can you? What is he getting upset about at school? When does he get upset? He's upset all day? I'd like to know. Are there specific times when he's upset? What are the demands being placed upon him at those times? Now we'd be homing in on specific unsolved problems. Other reasons kids don't talk. They don't trust the process of Plan B yet, often because they've had an... I don't know if this is, uh, this, uh, this is true of your situation, but it could be, uh, that he's had a lot of experience with Plan A. So when you're doing Plan B, he thinks you're doing Plan A, and kind of like the kid in the email before this one. He's kind of waiting for you to lower the plan A, boom. Why would he participate in the process if 
what's going to happen at the end of the process is that the plan B boom is the plan A boom is going to get lowered, dropped on his head. Uh, another reason, another reason he's not talking or saying he doesn't know is because he doesn't know. Where in which case we would need to get some information from the folks at school about what it is that he's getting upset because. He doesn't know. He he may not have thought about it before. He may not have um, he may not have been asked quite this way before. That doesn't sound like it's the case here, since you've been trying to do Plan B. He may need the problem broken down into its component parts. There are many, many, many things that go on at preschool. He might need us to make some suggestions about what it is that's hard for him at school based on our knowledge of what goes on at school, the different activities that are involved during his day at preschool, and whether he's got trouble with any of them. Could be that he needs time to think. Sometimes adults, and I have no idea which of these might be coming into play in your case, Sometimes adults do a lot of talking during Plan B, and that effectively causes the kid to not do any talking. So sometimes I'm telling adults they got to get comfortable with silence. He may need time to think. He may be having his trouble putting his thoughts into words. And by the way, that I'm not sure that that would be a three- or four-year-old issue. Many, many three- and four-year-olds do not have trouble putting their thoughts into words. If your three- or four-year-old is having trouble putting his thoughts into words, that's something you might actually want to have somebody take a look at who is skilled at figuring out whether a child is having trouble putting his thoughts into words. But if your child is typically not having trouble putting his thoughts into words but is having trouble putting his thoughts into words in Plan B, then I'd probably... I don't like to include anything without actually meeting a kid, but that might be evidence suggesting that it's one of our other possibilities that are getting in his way when you're trying to do Plan B. And if none of that is what's going on or or none of that gets him talking, you should feel free to do some educated guessing and hypothesis testing so as to see if any of your hypotheses about what is getting in his way at school um, see if any of your ideas uh, make sense to your son. And that's, um, that's those are the suggestions I usually have for what people should do uh, when a child is not talking. Often, when we look at those things and figure out why he's not talking we are able to get him to start talking. All right. Let's um, read one more here. Uh, we only have, uh, let's see, 10 minutes left in the program. Uh, let's see, do we have any... We still have no callers today. I wonder if something's the matter with the phone. We always have callers. Well, who knows? We're getting through a lot of email. Last one probably for the day. My 12-year-old son, a twin whose sister is helpful and cooperative has always been a difficult child who fits the description of oppositional defiant disorder. Well, that's a diagnosis. As you know, this is me talking now. 
I'm more interested in what skills he's lacking and what unsolved problems are setting in motion his challenging episodes, but I'll keep going here with the email. His outbursts of anger seem related to stress, too vague, although he is able to control himself well at school. Very similar. At nine, we had him evaluated and attempted therapy several times, which he has become more and more resistant to. I find that kids do tend to become resistant to therapy when it when they feel that it hasn't been helpful. Of course, you're not saying that. That was me talking again. Back to the email. His bouts of extreme behavior seem to wax and wane to a calendar we don't understand. Right now, he is frequently very angry. He curses us. My husband gets the most verbal abuse, but the rest of us are not at all immune. When he is especially angry, he can resort to threatening us verbally and often breaks things, mostly small things like pens and pencils. Tonight, he smashed a glass on the floor. That will often get people to email me. But that information mostly tells us what your son does when he's responding to a still unsolved problem. But it doesn't tell us what the unsolved problems are because we are not, well, we're not going to focus on behavior for the unsolved problems. Behavior typically isn't the unsolved problem. The trajectory back to the email is often that he is verbally abusive for a reason we don't understand, and we at first and we respond at first by threatening. Well, now, the crucial part of that sentence, this is me talking again, it's the reason that we don't understand that we need to understand. Responding to him by threatening, and I'm going to go back to the email here, then taking away something important to him, his headphones, skateboard, soccer game, this escalates the conflict back to me again. I know. Exactly, because threatening him, taking away something important, doesn't solve the problem that we don't know what it is yet. Back to the email, he then will become more enraged. This is really typical, by the way. This is this is the classic plan A makes things worse. Solving problems makes things better, but we can't solve them if we don't know what they are. Back to the email. He then will become more enraged. In turn, we remove something else of his. The level of his verbal abuse is so hard for us to take that we often, in the heat of the moment, say that we can no longer live this way. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And here's the good news. You don't have to live this way anymore. Back to the email. That we need to seek help. That we may have to send him to boarding school. Well, if you do send them to boarding school, I sure do hope they understand lagging skills and unsolved problems, but it's possible that you may not have to send them to boarding school if you understand his lagging skills and unsolved problems and start solving them in a way that doesn't involve plan A. Back to the email. This takes him to his most extreme level of anger. And by the way, I cannot tell you how many parents I hear from who are considering boarding school. And when I talk to them, I find out that no one has ever helped them figure out what their child's lagging skills and unsolved problems are. Can't tell you how many parents I hear from who are spanking their kid. And when I talk to them, I find out that they no one's ever helped them figure out what their kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are. They say to me, do you think we should send them to boarding school? Do you th- what, what do you think we should do? And my answer is always the same. I can't tell people what to do until I understand what a child's lagging skills and unsolved problems are. No one can. Once you figure out what skills a kid is lacking and what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion his challenging episodes, what we ought to do becomes crystal clear. 
what we ought to do is not clear at all until we have that information. Back to the email. He insists that we can never talk to him about this issue and that it is talking about it that causes his rage. Well, I think it sort of depends on how you're talking about it. The talking about it that I'm hearing about, I can understand, causes his rage. He's right. He's got a point. The thing is, that is true, so how can we ever collaborate with him if bringing any of these highly charged issues up causes him to go over his tipping point? Well, now that's the thing. Back to me again. I don't know if that's going to cause him to go over his tipping point. I hear that frequently, but I can't tell you how many kids, most in fact, respond to Plan B. Plan B is so different. It's a different playing field. It's got a different tone to it. It's not heat of the moment. It's proactive. You are really interested in understanding what your son's concern or perspective is on the things that are upsetting him. If the, what you're describing is the type of talking that you're doing, then Plan B is not the kind of talking you're doing. And we really don't have any idea how he's going to respond to Plan B. Most kids do once they realize that they're on a completely different playing field. We feel helpless and incapable of responding in any productive way. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Well, now, you sent me your email through the Lives in the Balance website contact form. There's a bunch of free stuff on the Lives in the Balance website that can help you start solving problems. First of all, identify unsolved problems and identify lagging skills. That would be in the paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance website. You want to figure out what is lagging skills and unsolved problems are top priority, and you can do that today. Today. Then start at the beginning of the Lives in the Balance website in the Learn section. You can watch me talking about collaborative problem solving in ways that are more uh, involved than what I'm able to do on this radio program, although we get pretty detailed on this radio program, don't we? Then what you'll learn is that there's a different way to solve problems with your son besides the way you're doing it right now. And that threatening him and raising the ante isn't going to solve any of them. It's going to make everybody miserable, which is how it sounds. Miserable, desperate. And then start trying to use Plan B. There's videos on there to show you what it looks like. Start trying to do Plan B. If you run into trouble, feel free to call into the radio program. The fact that nobody called today must mean that Plan B is going well universally, which of course I know isn't true because Plan B is hard. The hardest thing about Plan B is hard. And it's worth it because... You're working hard already, and life is hard already. We want to make sure you have something to show for all of that hard work. The hardest part about Plan B is that it's hard. You're not going to lose any authority by doing Plan B. Your son's not going to walk all over you. You're going to improve communication. You're going to improve your relationship with your son. You're going to start getting problems solved, problems that apparently have been setting it up episodes for a very long time and you can call into this radio program any Tuesday that you want 
if you're running in trouble. Uh, finally, to end the program, an email from one of our listeners. We had a mental health professional work with our challenging son, only to see our son further deteriorate. That's not what's supposed to happen. All that time, money, and effort. Frequently, mental health professionals are trained on archaic ideas themselves. Time to enlighten the counselor with collaborative problem solving. Thank you, emailer. Thanks to both of our emailers. Um, and thanks to all of you for listening to our program today. Back again next week with uh, another program. I'm glad we're able to get to some of your emails today. And I look forward to talking with you and um, answering some of your questions next week as well. In the meantime, it's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Thank you.